You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Just gone 8 or 9 uh, Central African time. Uh, let's welcome our pious and sagacious Ummah with their hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Medical panels are keeping you company this evening. And I can tell you that I'm really looking forward to a brilliant consultation with our Professor Nareeb Adichoy, who's a mashallah, who specializes in, uh, he's, a, he's a, a doctor uh, and he's an ophthalmologist. Alhamdulillah, you know, uh, my cousin, uh, Dr. Zabir Dular Khan, he said, you know, Shafaat, you haven't met a better man and a better Muslim. So, Alhamdulillah, uh, yes, uh, I think, uh, well, what happened? Uh, uh, well, we seem to have just lost the doc, and uh, yeah. Carlo is trying to get him back online. As soon as we get him back online, uh, we'll be talking to him. Yes, an ophthalmologist is uh, someone that uh, specializes. Yeah, he specializes in uh, vision care. And alhamdulillah, in our case, our, uh, you know, Professor Nagib Detroit is also a lecturer. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Professor Nagib Detroit. And uh, jazakallah khair for joining us on the platforms of uh, Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Yes, sir. How, Thank you for how are you doing this fine, a beautiful evening, uh, Doctor? Alhamdulillah, I'm well. On your side? I tell you, we are doing uh, very well indeed and uh, looking forward to having a brilliant uh, consultation with you. Uh, listeners, uh, remember, we will be uh, fielding your questions uh, to Doctor on 084-786-3132, 084-786-3132. And in the meantime, uh, we will, inshallah, we'll uh, start off uh, with a uh, short discussion and thereafter I'll be uh, giving him your questions. Yes, uh, Doctor, you know, when you look at uh, your field, yeah, and yeah, perhaps, you know, who better than you to describe it to the listeners if someone came up to, to you and asked you, how would you describe uh, the uh, the ophthalmologist? And, and how, how would you do it for the layman, uh, Professor? Well, basically, we um, deal with diseases of the eye. Um, so it's a bit of a medical as well as a surgical field. So any eye conditions, usually excluding spectacles and uh, refractive errors, but any other conditions which cause a decrease in vision or, or, or diseases or pathology of the eye, we deal with that. And we also uh, are involved with surgery and operations on the eye. The main operation that we perform, probably most of the work, is to do with cataracts and removing cataracts from the eye and restoring vision in that way. So I'd say in a nutshell, that would describe what an ophthalmologist does. Jazakallah for that. And yeah, as a broadcaster, uh, I, I believe you're on the landline, uh, Doctor. A little further away from you, uh, we can hear uh, some bubbles coming through, but uh, mashallah, very clear indeed. Yes, uh, you know, when you look at the millennium man or you look at the people in, in this era, uh, more susceptible to pressure, and, you know, it's a very fast-moving life. And, you know, if people talk about glaucoma, how common is it amongst uh, the, the new millennium uh, human beings? Uh, glaucoma is a disease that comes in various uh, shapes and forms. Um, the most common type, um, it's actually quite complex from a medical perspective, but the most common type would be a type that comes with increasing age. Um, it's, it's called a chronic uh, open angle glaucoma. So the angle of the eye is a structure where the drainage channels um, which drain the fluid from the eye. The eye has tissue which produces fluid. And it also has drainage channels which drain the fluid. So when there's an imbalance between production of fluid and drainage, then the fluid builds up in the eye, which usually leads to pressure. 
and this uh, pressure re- reduces circulation of blood in the eye, especially to the nerve, and this causes damage to the nerve. So that would be the most common type of glaucoma, although there are others. There are others that can affect uh, newborn babies. There's congenital glaucoma, uh, glaucoma that can occur at younger ages in kids as well as uh, teenagers. But the most common type would be the, the, the type that affects people over the age of 40 years, 40, 45 years. And um, this leads to slow loss of vision and eventual blindness. So this type of glaucoma is the one that is encountered the most. And it probably affects about, we'd say, over the age of uh, 40, probably about uh, 4% of the population. Yes, and uh, Doc, you know, you find uh, that uh, the Indian population, most of them, uh, you know, have uh, sugar diabetes. How does, uh, you know, sugar affect uh, eye conditions in general? Uh, sugar is uh, it's a very um, serious condition. Diabetes is a serious condition which can affect the eye in a very negative way. Um, the most uh, common thing would be retinopathy. So what happens is that uh, diabetes causes the blood vessels at the back of the eye to become very leaky, and then fluid leaks out of the blood vessels, which causes swelling in the retina and causes bleeding in the retina. And if this affects the, the central part of the retina, which is responsible for for the fine vision, then the, the person can experience blurring or loss of vision. And also the poor circulation causes growth of new vessels in the back of the eye, and these vessels can bleed as well, which can cause a sudden loss of vision. So diabetics are very susceptible to this form of eye disease, and it occurs mainly in people where the sugar is not well controlled. We normally advise uh, patients to keep the sugar less than 10 milliliters, millimoles per liter, um, most people have a, a sugar ma- a machine where they can check the blood sugar on a regular basis. So this needs to be tightly controlled, and uh, if it's well controlled and the, the, the sugar doesn't frequently go over 10, then we find that the chances of uh, this disease happening at the back of the eye is reduced. So diabetes is the third, cause, third leading cause of blindness in, the, in our country after cataracts and glaucoma. Yes, sir. you talk about, you know, in our, our country, uh, most of the indigenous population are susceptible to a cataract. And perhaps one of the reasons being uh, being too often or uh, quite often in the sun and spending long hours in the sunlight. Mm. You know, uh, how, how true is that, uh, Professor? It is true. Um, cataracts are caused mainly due to the aging process. Um, but like glaucoma, there are lots of other causes of it. Um, but mainly it's a disease of aging. So the the older a person is, the more you've been exposed to ultraviolet light. So it's one of the theories is that the increased exposure to ultraviolet light with increasing age leads to the onset of cataracts. So the the older you are, the more likely you are to have cataracts, and that's the bottom line. So ultraviolet light and sun exposure definitely is thought to be a cause. You know, uh, in the KZN region, we have uh, this Al-Qadio Hospital and uh, many other doctors get together and they go out into the locations of the inform- informal settlement and they, uh, you know, mm. check people out for cataract and also give them treatment mm. with the uh, mo- mobile vans. I think uh, very mm. noble indeed. And, you know, as a professional Muslim, as a, you know, a professor, as a doctor, you know, a very noble thing. And I think the Medical Association should be... Uh, uh, you know, applauded for that. Uh, your comment, Fata, a comment from you. Yes, um, there have been um, 
with these, they call them cataract tours or blind tours where people go out to the mobile clinics and operate on people who don't have access to healthcare. And it is, um, it's a life-changing operation. It's a very cost-efficient operation. People who are applied from cataracts become non-productive members of society. And when they undergo cataract surgery and can see again, within a few days, they can become productive members of society again. So it definitely has a role to play. But there the has been a move um, more recently away from mobile clinics and trying to set up centers where uh, patients can be brought in to the centers to have surgery because this, uh, in the long run, is more sustainable and uh, probably more cost-effective than sending mobile centers out where the, the follow-up for patients may not be as good once the operation's been done. Then there's not much follow-up that takes place after that. But if patients are bust in or brought into centers where, um, and these can be in rural areas with this, with this thick level hospitals, then the, the sustainability and the quality of care is actually improved. Alhamdulillah. And you know, uh, Professor, I've heard terms like, oh, crying tears of blood. But I really believe that, uh, you know, there's capillaries in the eyes of those veins. Or if, if, if they burst, then you can literally have blood flowing out of your eyes. Uh, could you fill us in? Can you just repeat that? Uh, people say, oh, he's crying tears of blood. And I believe oh. that they are, uh, you know, yeah. veins with capillaries in the eyes. If they yeah, burst, yeah, then yeah. The, the blood can come out. Yeah, no, there's, uh, that's something that really, really happens. I mean... When some the there are certain conditions that can cause tears of blood, um, they're mostly to do with um, the tear ducts themselves. You know, the channels we which drain the tears from the eye. So sometimes uh, um, um, the tear gland or the or these channels can be affected by tumors, for example. And if these uh, the vessels on these tumors rupture, then you can have tears of blood. But it's not something. It's an expression I think uh, which which is probably not really true because it's not an emotional thing that causes tears of blood. It's more it's pathological, um, like serious problems for the eye that can cause tears of blood. Jazakallah khair for that. You know, I'm glad we brought that up. And, uh, you know, you know, whilst talking to you, uh, Doctor, I feel so, I mean, uh, Professor, uh, I feel so calm, uh, cool, calm and collected. An anecdote comes to mind where Hazrat Ali said, you know, Radial Anu, he said, you know, man is an amazing uh, creature. He speaks with a lump of flesh, sees through layers of fat, and hears through pieces of bone. And, you know, it's quite an amazing thing. Your eyes, I and mean, he says layers of fat. And, you know, the karamat and the kudrat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is seeing through layers of fat. Uh, you know, perhaps you could elaborate on that, you know, what a miracle the eye is, uh, Doc. Yeah, the eye is uh, an astounding organ. I mean, there's uh, also that story... Um, you mentioned that anecdote that comes to mind about the, the person from the, the tribe of Bani Israel who, who uh, worshipped Allah for 500 years. And then on the day of Qiyamah will say that he wants to enter Jannah on the basis of his, of his good actions. And then uh, we know that he will enter Jannah on the, on the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this person, Allah ta'ala will order the angels to take his 500 days of Ibadah and on one side of the balance, and on the other side, put his, the, 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 the blessing of eyesight. And the 500 years of Ibadah will be outweighed just by the blessing of eyesight. So the, 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 the eyesight is definitely 
a miracle and one of the great favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on us. So the layers of fat that you're talking about, the eye is surrounded by fat in the orbit. So the eyeball itself is um, surrounded by fat, and then you have the bone of the orbit around that. So there is some truth to the fact that the eye is surrounded by fat. Um, but as I said, the 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 the, the, the eyeball itself is um, got so many. I mean, I don't want to go into the anatomical um, structures, but just if I can just mention one thing: the the eye, the nerve at the back of the eye, which connects the eye to the brain. This nerve um, is about what, probably 20, 30 millimeters long, and it, it, but it, at the point where it enters the eyeball, it's only 1.5 millimeters in diameter. But in those 1.5 millimeters, you can imagine a cable that is 1.5 millimeters wide. In these uh, 1.5 millimeters, there are 1.2 million nerve fibers. So that's, I mean, if you just think of that, that's quite mind-blowing, and it should really make us realize the, the greatness of our Creator. Yeah, absolutely, Professor. And also, I'm glad we're seeing eye to eye this evening. And, you know, talking about, uh, I mean, look at the advancements in the camera, these lenses, and, you know, people all have their cell phones, and, uh, you know, all are gone into this uh, hedonistic mode or, you know, uh, selfie mode and getting into, uh, uh, you know, all just uh, being... Uh, 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 encouraged uh, by the Dajjali system to, you know, make yourself look good and you'll be a filter there. That alone, you know, how powerful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is uh, that he's given uh, mankind that uh, acumen, that type of brain to even create, uh, you know, uh, lenses and cameras uh, like this. You know, talking about uh, your profession, uh, Professor, what were some of the most, uh, you know, uh, memorable moments that you had thus far with patients and maybe some of uh, the sad moments or some of the happy moments? Uh, could you share that with us? Yeah, I think one of the one of the great joys of the of uh, being an ophthalmologist is the um, is cataract surgery. So, um, a specific patient always comes to mind when I when I think about cataract surgery. It was a gentleman who was actually living in a shelter, homeless person, and um, he had a relative. I think who was a nurse. Um, who called me, um, I'd worked in theater with this nurse at one stage, called me to ask me if we could possibly arrange cataract surgery for this person and he couldn't afford to pay. So we do run a, a community project in, um, in Cape Town where we offer uh, surgery for free to, to cases where people are unable to afford surgery and we, we can't actually get in at the state institutions because the state institutions have quite long waiting lists. So this person uh, eventually came for his surgery and he was led into theater by um, a friend of his because he was blind, couldn't see. And uh, we have a new way of doing surgery. Well, it's not that new anymore, but we can actually operate on the eye without giving an injection or anesthetic injection. We can operate just with drops, anesthetic drops on the eye. The advantage of this type of surgery is that immediately when the patient gets off the table, they are often able to see. So we performed the surgery, and then the person got up uh, from the theater bed, and uh, there was a clock on the wall, and he could see the clock, and he started crying. Um, he was really overcome emotionally and like, so happy that he could see again. And everybody in theater basically had a lump in their throats. And this person then walked out of theater without being helped. When his friend came to the door to assist him, he said to him, no, just uh, leave me, I can actually see and I can walk by myself. His friend couldn't believe it, but the patient was uh, 
really overjoyed and happy, and I think that that is one of the the you know the great blessings of being an ophthalmologist. Absolutely brilliant story there, Professor Jazakallah, for sharing that. And then on the other hand, you know, you get a newborn baby, and you know, what are the telltale signs that the child can't see? You know, uh, you 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 call to examine the child, and you know, uh, the child is blind. Uh, that must be a you know a very uh, horrendous yeah. moment or a very uh, a challenging moment. How do you break news like that to the parents? Uh, yeah, I think that's um, that's one of the downsides uh, of the profession. Um, we do have uh, uh, ophthalmologists who specialize in pediatric ophthalmology, so this is the kind of thing that they would um, would be involved with, at least at state level. In private, of course, uh, any ophthalmologist could uh, face that situation. So usually the, at birth, uh, the telltale signs would be a um, the cornea, which is not clear. So when you look at the eye, the surface of the eye would look very hazy or gray instead of being clear, and you're unable to see the the color of the iris through the cornea because the cornea is actually hazy. So it's like imagining the glass over the, the face of a watch. If the glass is scratched or is severely scratched, you can't see the face of the watch through there. So that's what the uh, a hazy cornea would look like. So at birth, uh, the common causes would be a cornea that's hazy, and the other one would be um, is a congenital glaucoma. In that situation, the baby's eyeball uh, actually looks bigger than normal, so you have a very enlarged eyeball. And this um, usually the cornea in that situation is also hazy. So at that, in that situation, um, you would suspect that the child can't see. Um, there are other things like there can be blindness caused by lesions of the brain. Um, in, the, in that situation, the child's eye movements will be abnormal. The, the eye will be flicking from side to side. The baby is not able to fix on any object. The eye has what we call roving eye movements. The eyeballs move around. So in that situation, you would suspect that the child or the baby can't see. And then, of course, you have to break the, the news to the parent. But it's, it's really, really difficult. And, um, yeah, it's really a, a difficult situation to be in. You have to sit the parents down, uh, sit them down and explain to them at length. And you have to try to empathize with the parents and understand how difficult it is for them to accept that. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons why I don't uh, get involved in pediatric ophthalmology. Doc, you know, I think you and I share, hey, I don't know, I, I, I couldn't handle that. I know I couldn't handle, even if I was a doctor, to go and tell the parent that. Yeah. Uh, yeah and, you know, even uh, for treatment, uh, doctor, you know, uh, if, if the operation has to be done. Uh, but generally, it is very expensive and, uh, uh, you know, can uh, with, with artificial intelligence or A1 coming through, uh, you know, what are the chances of when someone that's born blind, that, you know, maybe uh, the new industrial uh, or the new artificial intelligence uh, could help. Uh, yeah. your, uh, your, your comment? Yeah, the, the, the only conditions that they can actually use um, artificial intelligence for are the degenerative conditions of the retina. So there are certain retinal degenerations which cause blindness, usually not, not usually at birth, but usually at a young age, maybe in the early years or the teenage years, and then it gets worse as the person gets older. So there have been um, um, devices developed where the electrodes are implanted at the back of the eyeball, and then this is connected to something outside the eye, which is then connected to electrodes on the brain. Um, there are certain uh, artificial eyes that have been developed in that regard. 
but the, the type of vision that is restored is not anything like the, what the eye can actually see in a normal person. These are usually just um, giving the person the ability to see shapes or color, um, which improves their function tremendously, but it's nothing close to, uh, to normal vision. I can tell you a fascinating conversation with you and a beautiful consultation. Now, listeners, uh, yeah, I can see, uh, Doc, the, I can tell you the barakah is flowing. There's lots of questions on the screen. And yes, uh, listeners, uh, listeners 0847863132. What we're going to do, we'll go for a break. When we get back, uh, inshallah, I'll be fielding these questions to our professor, Doggy Detroit, uh, inshallah. Let's go do some shopping. You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. 8.33 Central African Time, the program, and Medical Files, and our ophthalmologist, uh, Professor Nadim Detroit, Alhamdulillah, Summa Alhamdulillah, having a brilliant consultation with him uh, this evening. All your questions on our WhatsApp number, 084-786-3132. They're coming in, uh, Professor. The first one here is from Anonymous, and it says, Assalamu alaikum. Jazakallah for hosting an ophthalmologist, uh, Brother Shafa'at. Uh, once or twice a year, my eyes itches, and in the morning, it's a sticky matter comes uh, comes out which has uh, dried in the corners. I rinse it with salt water and uh, two days it's okay. I don't know if it's my kajal stick or my cat hair that is causing it. Uh, Professor? Yeah, I think uh, uh, the commonest cause of those types of symptoms would usually be what is called blepharitis. Blepharitis is a condition where the uh, glands in the eyelid, so the upper lid and the lower lid both have about 20 to 25 uh, sebaceous glands. They, these glands secrete a fatty-like substance, and uh, there are certain times when these glands can become overactive. And the overactivity of those glands usually causes the itching as well as this matting of the eyelids in the morning. So the eyelids should be cleaned. We usually uh, advise to use a cotton bud. So those are the buds that people usually use to clean their ears with. Um, we suggest that we that the person boil some water, wait for the water to cool down, and then dip the, the cotton bud in the water. And then looking into the mirror, just behind the eyelashes, if you look carefully, you'll see the openings of these glands where you'll see the fatty substance sitting there. So this needs to be wiped away in the morning and in the evening both the upper and lower lids, and do that for about a week or two, and then usually that settles the overactivity of the glands. If that's not enough, then um, it's probably better to consult an ophthalmologist, and uh, what will usually happen then is antibiotics, which they are certain antibiotics which decrease the activity of those glands. Um, these will be prescribed, and there are also certain solutions. Uh, one of them is called Navibleth, this can be used uh, both over the counter at the pharmacy, and this can also be used to clean the eyelids with. We're looking at a question from a senior lady, Mrs. Devetta, who says, Good evening, I'm in my 70s and fell and hit my head badly about seven months ago. My lenses got dislodged and my vision was impaired badly. Pupils were dislodged but back in place now. There is a, still a yellow pus at the back of the eyes. Tablets made me too sick uh, to continue, so now taking injections one a month. Seeing straight and slightly better after first injection. Please tell me more about this injection that goes deep into my eyes and the success rate if this in, uh, of, of this injection. Thank you in advance, uh, uh, Professor. Uh, uh, Professor Nagi? Yeah, the, 
Yeah, the injections, the only injections that I know that we give into the eye are injection of a substance called Avastins. Avastin, which is an anti-vascular uh, endothelial growth factor, which is injected into the eye in two situations usually. Well, maybe more, two or three. The one is in diabetics who have swelling at the back of the eye. Another one would be swelling at the back of the eye due to uh, blocked blood vessels. And the third situation would be in the elderly, usually Caucasian patients, people of European descent. They develop um, degeneration of the retina at the back of the eye, which causes swelling in the center. And the swelling often responds to these injections. These injections are usually given once per month for about three months. Then the uh, response to the injections is assessed. It usually uh, uh, gives one or two lines of vision back, and then um, after three months, as I said, and decided if we decide whether further injections need to be given. So it sounds like that may be the situation in an elderly person, possibly with what we call age-related macular degeneration. Looking at uh, Fazila Masi's question here, she says, Assalamu alaikum. I enjoy the medical show. Three things uh, people tell us uh, to use if I itch or trouble. Number one, honey. Number two, rose water. And number three, milk. Are these uh, things effective, uh, uh, Professor Saab? Uh, uh, Doc? Yeah, the, the, the medical studies have shown that there are certain things that we eat that are good for the eyes. Um, there's always this uh, expression or this uh, uh, idea that carrots are good for the eye, and it's actually true because carrots contain vitamin A. Um, but any uh, lots of green leafy vegetables, uh, fruits, these are the, the contain uh, vitamins and antioxidants and minerals which are good for the eye. Um, so we usually advise people to have a uh, a diet rich in um, in green greens and vegetables. Um, if you're unable to consume lots of uh, vegetables, and most of us don't have a good diet in that regard, then there are vitamin tablets uh, called Occuvite, um, which contain the necessary minerals. And studies have shown that these do prevent uh, degeneration in the eye as one grows older. And uh, what about looking at the sea and, uh, you know, looking at greenery? They say it enhances or is good for the eye. And also some say, you know, reading the Noble Quran, you know, is uh, very good yeah, for the eye. Yeah. Your reaction, doctor? Yeah, look here, we, um, we are things called color therapy. I'm not sure exactly to the, uh, as to the benefits of it, but it has been described. Um, and, of course, we... We uh, we believe in the words of our Creator and our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and they advise us that reading the the Quran is uh, beneficial for eyesight. So I believe in that as well. for that. Haji from Boxburg says, "Assalamu alaikum, Shafaat and the ophthalmologist. Please advise: Can a senior in the sixties have permanent uh, contact lenses fitted? Are there any known side effects, Professor?" Yeah, they are contact lenses. They call them intraocular contact lenses. They're actually fitted inside the eye. Um, usually at the age of 60, um, it's not usually advisable because that's the sort of age where cataracts are going to come on anyway. And these intraocular contact lenses do accelerate the development of cataracts. So we usually say that at that stage, it's probably better just to have the cataracts or the lenses taken out and an artificial lens put inside the eye instead, rather than having an intraocular contact lens fitted.
looking at Molana Isak. He says, Assalamu alaikum, Shafaat and Doctor. What happens if a cataracts are not removed? Well, cataracts, um, basically the lens inside the eye. So the lens is located behind the color part of the eye. The colored part of the eye is called the iris. And in the center of the iris is a hole, which is called the pupil. That hole usually appears black. And that hole is actually um, where we access the lens through. So the lens is just behind the pupil. Um, it's shaped like a, a little disc. Um, and that lens is usually crystal clear at birth, and then as one gets older and gets exposed to ultraviolet light, the lens slowly starts changing color and develops a yellowish tinge to it. It can also develop um, uh, white opacities in the lens, and also the back part of the lens can become uh, thickened and opacified. These are the three main areas where the lens becomes opaque, so it's not clear anymore. And with, with increasing age, this uh, is what uh, develops, and this is what we call the cataract. So the cataracts, uh, usually if you examine anybody over a certain age, you'll find some sort of a pacification of the lens. But this pacification can take months or years to get worse. And, um, I mean, I've seen some patients where they have a cataract and you it's not uh, bad enough to warrant surgery, and this uh, just doesn't get worse over months and years. But in most cases, with time, the lens will become more opacified. Eventually, the lens will become completely opaque, and the person won't be able to see anything except light and dark through there. So when that happens, uh, uh, in the old uh, days or in previous years, before the advent of more modern surgery, they used to say you had to wait for the cataract to become ripe. That was the term that was used. They had to ripen. In other words, it had to become opaque, and that would make the taking out of the cataract easier with the older method of surgery. With the newer methods of surgery, we tend to remove the cataract more early because the, we use an ultrasound machine, and if the cataract is too hard, then it becomes difficult to take the cataract out of the machine, and the risk of complications are increased. So if you leave the cataract, it eventually will become opaque, and then the surgery becomes harder. So we normally recommend that when activities of daily living, so the normal activities that the person would carry out from day to day, when the person cannot do these activities anymore because of blurring of vision caused by the cataract, then that's the time that the cataract needs to be removed. Jazakallah for that. Uh, Muhammad Nurbhai says, Assalamu alaikum. My family and I are enjoying the program. Allah Ta'ala give baraka to Marcus Sahaba Radio. Can an ophthalmologist do an operation to sort, uh, sort out a squint? My driver's in his 40. He's been squinting uh, since uh, birth, I think. Uh, uh, your reaction, uh, Professor? Yes. A squint operation can be performed at any age. Um, the, the thing is that as... Um, it depends on the type of squint. You get different causes for squint and different reasons. There's some causes where at, at the young ages, the patient just requires glasses and the squint will go away if the right glasses are prescribed. But there are other forms of squint where uh, surgery is needed and it won't actually recover without surgery. If the, uh, these operations are done at a younger age where the, the eyes are still developing, then there's a good chance the person will recover fairly well. If it's in an adult, then... Um, it depends. If it's been there since childhood, then the, the squint can be corrected, but it's unlikely that vision will be restored because the, often the squint causes what we call a lazy eye because both eyes are not focusing on the same point. Uh, the, the one eye that is deviated, the pathway between that eye and the brain doesn't develop normally. 
And if this does, if this is not corrected before the age of eight to ten, then the this pathway will never develop at a later stage. So correcting the squint will be cosmetic. The person will appearance will be better, but the vision won't be won't be improved. And then there are other types of squint that develop in adult life, and uh, the person's uh, pathway is already developed at that stage. So correcting the squint at that stage will um, will won't uh, have any detrimental effects or will restore the vision. So it depends on when the squint started and there are lots of other factors involved, but squint surgery can be performed at any age and uh, the squint and alignment of the eyes can be corrected. And how common is uh, squinting amongst uh, individuals, uh, Doc? I mean, it's quite a rare thing, I think. Yeah, it's not very common. It's more common in kids. Um, Younger ages, um, like I mentioned, people who are farsighted, um, and they, they are focusing the eyes all the time to try to overcome the farsightedness that causes deviation of the eyes. Um, so uh, squint is something that we see uh, more frequently in kids than in adults. In adults, there are other causes um, that can, uh, like thyroid disease and cranial nerve uh, um, paresis or paralysis that can cause squinting. Um, certain types of stroke can do it as well. So it's not a very common uh, occurrence, but it is something that needs to be seen by an ophthalmologist if, if it does happen. Yes, uh, Doc, I'm visualizing a baby, and they, they, you know, they, they're very susceptible to squinting the eyes. You know, when they look at an object, yeah. the eyes goes like that. So that's, uh, that's uh, quite normal with them. Yeah, we usually say that uh, squinting soon after birth and, uh, um, you know, in, in an infant is, is normal to a certain extent. But if this occurs and persists after the age of three months, then it needs to be, uh, then it needs to be assessed by a specialist. So all our mothers there don't uh, get excited when the child thing is uh, normal, but after three months, uh, take precautions. Khalid says... Assalamu alaikum. I'm from Cape Town, and uh, yes, I'm enjoying my uh, professor from Cape Town. Jazakallah for that. Uh, there's a big uh, plus for you from Cape Town, uh, <laughs> professor. Okay, calf start. Hey, here come the yeah, ah, He says we are imbibing interesting information from the program. Uh, program. Are, are diabetics are more prone to eye complications, and why? So I think we we uh, touched on it. Uh, perhaps yeah. a refresher, uh, professor. Yeah, uh, diabetes can affect the eyes in several ways. I mean, the, the, what I mentioned earlier on, the retinopathy is just one of the ways. That's the most serious way. But diabetes can affect the eyes. It makes the eye more prone to infection. It makes cataracts develop at a younger age. We often have young patients that are diabetic with cataracts. It can uh, cause, uh, it's also been associated with glaucoma. So there's several ways um, uh, cranial nerve palsies and squinting also more common in diabetics. There are several ways in which uh, diabetes can affect the eye. The retinopathy is the most serious way, which is the one that causes blindness. But as I mentioned, lots of different uh, um, uh, co- uh, pathologies that can be caused by diabetes. So diabetics really need to take care uh, of the eye, and the most important thing is to make sure that the blood sugar remains controlled. And says, Assalamu alaikum, uh, Professor. My cousin was born with an eye condition, and uh, and uh, he, from a very young age, he wore glasses. It got thicker and thicker, but by the grace of Allah, he still is uh, seeing, and he's now in his late 40s. Uh, have uh, uh, have uh, these uh, types of people uh, survived it right to uh, uh, older age? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get his gist here. 
Uh, did, I, did you catch the the drift, Doc? Say that again. He's a, hey, he's he spoke about, Hassan talks about his cousin uh, using yeah, glasses from a very young age, and as he got older, mm-hmm. the, the lenses got thicker and thicker. He wants to know yeah. will he carry on until uh, you know until he makes parza from this world. Oh, I don't know. Well, the the condition that usually. Some people are born with uh, big eyeballs, let's put it that way, and these people are usually short-sighted. They usually require thick lenses, and as they grow older, the eyeball gets bigger, so the lenses become thicker as well. But this usually stabilizes, usually around about the age of 25 to 30. So these these people are severely short-sighted, but the eye does stop growing in the mid-20s usually. And then usually at that point, uh, the short-sightedness will stabilize. I'm not sure what other condition this person's relative has, but I mean, Mm. they could be having some other syndrome, which I'm not, um, which is not coming out in the question. But um, short-sightedness does uh, cause people to need thicker and thicker glasses and then does stabilize in the mid-20s. Well, I got the gist. Thank you for that, Professor. You're a brilliant professor, and I'm sure those students that have you are very fortunate indeed because we decided that. Alhamdulillah, you did well there. Uh, looking at uh, Anonymous, Anonymous says, Assalamu alaikum. My khaki wants to know why does some kind of exercise affect the conditions of glaucoma, uh, Professor? Yeah, there's certain types of glaucoma which are affected by exercise. So, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, I just briefly touched on the one one of the types of glaucoma, but there are there's a long list. I mean, you can make a page long and write down all different forms of glaucoma that occur. One of the forms is something called um, pigment dispersion syndrome. In that condition, the iris is bowing posteriorly and it touches the lens, and this movement of the iris uh, causes the pigment, the color in the iris, to be shed. And this blocks the drainage channels leading to glaucoma. So this condition has been found that when somebody exercises, then the the flow of fluid in the eye increases and the movement of this pigment in the eye increases. And in that situation, the vision becomes blurred. So when the person exercises, their vision actually goes blurred under those conditions. So this is a very unusual um, situation. There are only about two different conditions in the eye where exercise actually brings on blurring or loss of vision. Um, and this pigment dispersion syndrome, is, uh, which is a glaucoma, a type of glaucoma is one of them. Arun uh, says, Assalamu alaikum. My family and I are tuned in uh, from Durban North. Uh, Shafat and the doctor are doing a great show. Jazakallah khair for that. I once heard... Uh, I Hello? People said due to stress. If that happens, uh, Doc, can you hear me? No, I just lost you there for a minute. Can you just repeat that question? Uh, All right, I'll I'll repeat that. Harun says, uh, okay, they're listening to us. He says he once heard of a man whose eyes actually Mm. fell off. People said due to stress. If that happens, what should a person do? It's a scary thought. Uh, Which fell off? His eyes? Yeah, uh, his eyes fell off. And uh, what should the people do in, you know, when, when that happens? The only time I know of, I've seen eyeballs actually, uh, we call it prolapsing or coming out of the orbit. Yeah. Is, uh, in, yeah, that, that only happened in people with severe thyroid disease. I've seen eyeballs almost popping out. And the only other time we really see it is in psychiatric patients where they actually, um, 
they actually gouge the eye, gouge the eye, eyeballs out. I mean, those are the only two situations we have seen eyeballs actually coming out of the socket. Um, and of course, it can happen with trauma or severe injury to the eye. It also uh, can happen, but it's a very, very rare occurrence and something that we don't often see at all. Well, I know when the shoulder is dislocated, they push it back in. And what mm. happens in that case, uh, Professor? Yeah, so you, if it's been gouged out, you have to, you have to, you basically have to push it back. In a person that that's got severe thyroid disease, obviously you need to control the thyroid functions first and control the inflammation which is causing the eyeballs to protrude, um, and then it will usually go back by itself. Um, yeah, but if if it's been if the eyeball has been avulsed or cut out because of trauma, and the nerve has been severed, then there's no way the eye can be can the vision can be restored because to like I mentioned earlier, those 1.2 million nerve fibers. Mm-hmm. Each one of them will have to be reconnected for the eye to see again. And that's practically a humanly not possible to do that. Sad indeed. Bernani uh, uh, from Pochefston says, Assalamu alaikum, Shafaat, and uh, the doctor. Jazakallah for interesting information. My eyes feel tired. I'm 72 years old. How can I revitalize them? Well, what are you going to tell Nani, Professor? Yeah, usually the eyes feel tired uh, for two reasons. Um, either there's eye strain, in other words, the person needs glasses and is not wearing glasses and so straining the eyeball. That's the one situation where the eyes can feel tired. And the other one is when the eyes are actually dry. Now, usually in people that are older, it's usually the situation that the eyeball becomes dry because as one gets older, the tear glands produce less and less tears and the, the surface of the eye becomes dry and that can make the eye feel tired. So we suggest that um, there are artificial tear supplements which can be bought over the counter at the pharmacy. There are various different brands in various different forms and we usually recommend that these drops be used between two and four times a day. Even up to every two hours they can be used if the surface of the eye is very dry and this will usually make the eye feel um, less tired and more fresh. Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah for that, uh, Doc. Uh, um Zakaria says, Assalamu alaikum and Jazakallah for top show with uh, Uncle Shafat and the ophthalmo- ophthalmologist, uh, Doctor. I woke up on Monday and the bottom corner of my eyes was bloodshot. I feel worried. Could I just have uh, poked myself or what else can it be? Uh, Prof? Yeah. Yeah, so if there's a localized area of uh, redness or sometimes there's some blood under the surface of the eye, this is called a subconjunctival hemorrhage. It's something that people often experience when they wake up in the morning. Um, I shouldn't say often, but it is something that is experienced, especially in people who have high blood pressure um, or people that are on uh, things that thin the blood like discipline or warfarin. Um, it can also be due to pumping maybe or rubbing the eye during the sleep. Um, also happens with severe episodes of coughing or vomiting. So these little hemorrhages appear under the surface of the eye due to popping of the conjunctival blood vessels. The blood uh, usually remains uh, there for about two weeks. It eventually goes away. Um, it changes color from red to yellow and then disappears almost like a bruise under the skin. So, yeah, it's not, a, it's not an uncommon problem. Um, but if it is, if it's persistent and it doesn't actually look like a blood spot there, then maybe just pop into the optometrist and just let them have a look to make sure it's nothing more serious. Uh, Zara says, Assalamu alaikum. Jazakallah for a powerful program. 
What is it uh, uh, that makes the eyes go yellow when a person gets a jaundice, uh, Prof? Okay, so there's um, a certain pigment called bilirubin. This pigment uh, is usually uh, cleared from the body by the liver. Um, so when the liver function is not good, this can happen in cases of hepatitis or liver failure. Then this bilirubin pigment gets deposited in different parts of the body, and one of the places it gets deposited is the white part of the eye, which is a sclera. So under the surface skin of the eye, which is clear, there's a white part called the sclera, and the sclera, uh, the bilirubin pigment, gets deposited in the sclera, and that gives it a yellow color. So this is what we call jaundice, and it's usually a sign of uh, dysfunction of the liver. Firoza Musa, he says, Assalamu alaikum. The program is class. Allah bless you both and all at Marka Sahaba. Uh, also, my salams for our treasured Mufti AK. I want to know if an ophthalmologist looks into my eyes, can he see the condition of my heart and kidneys, etc., uh, Prof? No, you can't. Um, you can see signs. So there are certain signs in the eye which indicate problems with. Uh, blood flow or circulation or certain uh, conditions like high blood pressure can cause changes in the blood vessels at the back of the eye, uh, similarly with diabetes. So usually when there's uh, the, the, the kidney dysfunction and the eye dysfunction in diabetes usually go together because both of them uh, are indicative of small blood vessel disease. So there are indications at the back of the eye that there's problems with other organs. So there's certain signs that can indicate um, Oh, hypertension or, or, or diabetes or poor circulation. So they are, you can see some signs at the back of the eye, yes. Professor Najib of Detroit, I can tell you it was a brilliant uh, afternoon or evening with you. Really enjoyed every minute. Perhaps, uh, perhaps your parting words uh, this evening. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, thank you for inviting me onto your show. Um, I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity and I'm happy that we could. Uh, we provide some information to uh, you know, help certain people in, uh, and their understanding of eye problems. Um, the, 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 the eyesight is it's one of the great favors of our Creator on us, and I think we really need to take care of it. And sometimes we only really appreciate uh, something when we don't have it anymore. So we should really appreciate our eyesight uh, and not uh, um, you know suffer um, once it's gone. So I think we... There's not much um, to say except that we should you know, have a healthy diet like most things in life. If we follow a healthy diet, I mean, the eyes, inshallah, will be taken care of. And as one gets older, um, especially over the age of 40, um, and if you have a family history of eye problems especially, then it's a good idea to have your eyes uh, checked um, by an optometrist. And if an optometrist finds any problems, they would refer to an ophthalmologist. So, yeah, I think as one gets older becomes even more important to take care of the eyesight. Um, and just to note that over the age of 40 to 45, usually we need reading glasses anyway. So that's a good time to, to have the eyes checked and, uh, and assessed. Jazakallah khair, Professor Nahib Dutoit. I tell you, you know, I definitely I'm telling you now, you, you, you're going to become a regular on Marcus Sahaba because uh, <laughs> you know, the way you handle the questions, mashallah. Allah bless you. Stay well and inshallah very soon you talk to you again. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, I can tell you, uh, listeners, uh, Jazakallah khair for all your questions uh, that had come through and already made uh, for a fascinating evening with uh, our Professor Nahib Detroit, who's uh, also 
specialist in uh, ophthalmologist lecturing at the University of the Western Cape. MashaAllah, Allah bless him and keep him. Time uh, for us to go for the Isha Azan. And when we get back, uh, uh, pertinent to punctuated uh, will be uh, yeah, uh, uh, hosting you. Yeah, let's go and uh, for the Isha Azan.